Hello, everyone, and welcome to Growing Woman. I am your host, Christina Singh, and this is a show all about amplifying and uplifting women's voices and stories. I am so excited that you're here, so excited that you're listening, and I am so excited about today's guest. On this episode, I interview Maisha Drayton, and you are just going to fall in love with her. She is absolutely incredible. Maisha uh, and I worked together at uh, an agency in Buffalo called AIDS Community Services at the time, but now it's Evergreen Health Services. And I had moved to Buffalo from California. I haven't really talked about that journey very much on this show. I'm sure I will sometime, but I moved to Buffalo in 2010 and I didn't know anyone and I didn't have a job and I found an apartment on Craigslist and I actually moved back to California for a period of time and then moved back to Buffalo and I, uh, in 2011, I started working at Evergreen Health and I remember seeing Maisha uh, and she was pretty, from what I could see, the only woman of color. Um, in a leadership position and coming from California that was really weird to me and I like fell in love with her (laughs) you know that you when you have those co-workers that you just admire and you they make such an impact on you and you just feel so you gravitate towards them and you feel connected to them and like you just want to learn from them and just learn about how they're doing what they're doing and who they are. That was Maisha for me. And she still remains that person to this day. And so I, when I first started this show, I knew I wanted to interview her and I was really afraid to ask her. (laughs) And for this season, I have just been all about, you know, conquering that fear practicing what I preach, taking action. And I asked Maisha to be on the show and she was just so wonderful. And we really get into intense, beautiful topics during this episode. She talks about, you know, her journey and her career, how she got into public health, uh, you know, how she shaped her career. And she learned that when she asked for what she wanted, it really changed the trajectory of her career. There are so many beautiful lessons in this episode, but the reason why I titled this Be the Author of Your Own Novel is because I think that really encapsulates what Maisha is all about and what she's learned throughout her journey and throughout her career. I hope you enjoy this episode as much as I did. Um, we mentioned in the episode that there these are two Leos in conversation with each other. So we have a really good time while talking to each other. And it was just so wonderful to connect with somebody that I admire so much and was a little bit nervous to approach about being on this show. And she was just so wonderful. And I know you're going to have a blast uh, listening to her. So let's dive into this conversation with Maisha Drayton. Enjoy. Hi, Maisha. Thank you so much for being on the Growing Woman podcast. I am so thrilled to have you here with me. Thank you. 
So I asked you to be on the show because I have known you um, crazily for like 11 years now. I know. And we worked together at Evergreen Health Services. And at the time it was AIDS Community Services. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I joined right when it was rebranding. And I had just moved to Buffalo from California and I knew no one. (laughs) And I got um, this job that at the time was like my dream job of like, oh my God, it's like full time. I have benefits. I'm like doing what I want to be doing. And I just remember um, seeing you, there was a, a staff meeting we used to go across the street mm-hmm. and have these staff meetings. Um, where was that? In the um, theater? It's, well, it was, they they shared it. It was our property, uh, Evergreen's property, but mm-hmm. they shared it with a, the, um, a small, especially queer um, identifying theater and they put on events. So that's where we okay. had our, our little staff meetings yes. at the time. <laughs> and I remember I knew no one and you got up on stage and you were so powerful and you were talking about harm reduction therapy and you were talking about you were just like doing it in a way where I was like oh my gosh I just want to get to know this person I want to know this person (laughs) like who is this person and you were just such a beautiful leader and I um, have been captivated by you ever since. Like oh my you gosh. have just this beautiful <laughs> spirit. And when I was creating this show, um, obviously I created this show to just talk to women and highlight right. their voices and their stories and uplift their voices and their stories. And you have been a person I've really been wanting to connect with because I don't know you so deeply, but we have yeah. connected and like remained connected online. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I just wanted to get to know more about you and who oh. you are because you taught me so much. Um, and so I would love to know, how did you end up in like public health? Who are you? Yeah. Where are you from? Like, for, you know, <laughs> like, oh. how did you end up in Buffalo in public health? Let's start there. Right. Well, it's a long, sordid story. And thank you, first of all. Thank you for that. It was such a wonderful introduction. I really appreciate it. And I just want to respond to that before we even move into that. Sure. I remember <laughs> when um, when you started and they were like, oh, this is the new, I, I think we called development at the time. I can't remember what the title yeah. was. And we're like, oh, and she's from California. And <laughs> I guess that was supposed to mean something like, like she's just, and you were like this fresh um when that came through and when you came in I was just like oh my gosh and I my favorite and I'm probably our only connecting story but it's still my favorite is that we were at our um, fundraising event that of course you had a a big part in lead and we were there you had this beautiful I don't know if it was pink or peach this like light beautiful dress on with these chucks (laughs) you had a chuck tail (laughs) and we were standing on the side and you and then they were playing this music and then Michael Jackson came on and you looked at me and you said, Maisha, will you please dance with me? <laughs> and there was no one on the floor. And I was like, of course. And we grabbed hands, we ran the floor and we were the jump off because everybody started dancing. Yeah. I'll, never, I'll never forget you looking at me and said, Maisha, like I would say no. You know, like, I was like of course. I was probably terrified I'll to ask you that. Of course I'll dance with you. Okay, so I just remember that, that Maisha, will you dance with me? It's That's the so essence. Sweet. I think of when I see you, you know, you're living your life and you have a baby and you're married. I'm like, who does she think she is married yeah. with a baby? 
know when we're and we're dancing on the floor in Chuck's. So. Oh, that's such but a yes. sweet memory. <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> Thank you. So my my entrance into public health, I never thought I would be working in public health. I thought I was going to be some kind of director, you know, movies or television really? shows or broadcast journalist. That's what I went to undergrad for broadcasting, and. That's what I thought I was going to be doing. However, when I was an undergrad, the TV station, all of their, and the radio station, all the jobs were filled. And I later found out the teacher's pets got those jobs. I didn't know. I was oh, very wow. naive thinking I would just, you know, go in there and fill out and work there. And the only job available was at the on-campus wellness center and the clinic. So I had no idea. I just walked in and said, and I was very honest, like all the other jobs are filled. I, I just need a job. And they said, okay, well, what, do you, what can you do? I can talk, I can do this. So they made me a, something they called a client educator. So I sat down with women for their first um, gynecological visit. Gynecological, gynecological, okay. Visit. <laughs> gynecological. There it is. Yay, you did it. <laughs> gynecological. <laughs> The gynecologicals, and I sat with them and I explained what would happen. I showed them the specular, we touched it, we talked about these things. And the other wow. thing I did was go through campus and educate about, you know, interpersonal violence. Back then we called it, you know, like dating violence, um, um, about STIs and HIV. And I did these kind of presentations at the dorms and I smoke did that out. Too. Yeah. So that was yeah. my entrance to, and then I thought I would, then I went and after I graduated, I had like a deep internship at a local um, television station. I was like, I don't want to do this. Interesting. This is not what I want to do. I worked at a TV station. And then I also had an end. I was like, this is not what I want to do. So I just kind of was like, okay, what am I going to do? And Evergreen at the time, AIDS Community Services was hiring. And it was just what I did on campus. And that's what introduced me. I came in and I was like, I did this in college. That's how I got the job. So you went from college to AIDS community services. A little year, I did some work, um, nonprofit work yeah. before that, but that was my first grown up, like you, my wow. first grown up job with business cards. Yes, oh my God, <laughs> business cards. That I remember I, got, I was like, oh my God, a business Look card? Look at my name and I call myself a business lady, B-I-D-N-E-S-S. -S. Right. I'm, like, I'm a business lady now. Yes. All I needed was a briefcase. I was, <laughs> yes, exactly. I remember when I signed, I took a picture and posted it online. I signed my first letter for um, something at Evergreen. And I remember it was for porta potties for AIDS walk. <laughs> and I was like, look, everyone, I signed a letter because there really is that moment when you yeah. have that job. Yes. So when you heard about this job at Evergreen mm -hmm. or at the time AIDS Community Services, yeah. but when you heard about this job and you started doing it, how, what shifted for you? It's what, what really shifted was that I was helping people that mm -hmm. I've always been a, um, they used to call me a woman of conviction or, or someone, that's one of the things I'm gonna hear all the time. He's just so passionate about mm -hmm. things. And I am, and, and as I'm in my mid forties, I'm learning how that passion, passion can turn to vertigo and all sorts of health issues that happens no. when, yeah, when we're not, when we're not having our boundaries and we're not, yes. you know, being honoring our own selves and we're just thinking, oh, everything is important. Everything I got to give my all to everything, which is yeah. what has happened since my mid twenties. 
So, but that's how it happened. I just started like helping people and reaching communities I had never reached before, learning about harm reduction, working with um, drug using communities, working with queer communities, working with queer black, black queer communities, yeah. right? That we were taught are just kind of like a punchline back then was a punchline and a joke, but not really living, breathing humans. So that's what happened. I started just more and more learning about it. And then I found out there was way more to public health than simply what I my field was in, that there were so many different ways that we could intersect with our health and all the other yeah. things, that, the big wicked problems as they're called. Right, um, coming from an environment where uh, you're now thrust into a very, um, working with a very vulnerable population, um, what sort of lessons started coming up for you? I know you mentioned that there's just so much more out there for public health, but when you were starting to work with people um, with harm reduction therapies, some mm -hmm. of these things can be very scary yeah. um, and overwhelming. I mean, I remember you were training us on how to, um, you know, as a staff yeah. um, with overdoses and like training us yeah. on how to, you know, um, uh, properly deal with somebody who might be overdosing outside yes. of our space. Those are scary things if you haven't necessarily been exposed to that. So what sort of lessons did you start to learn? Like, how did you combat, you know, your own mental health with that? Yeah, I, I think I had to learn one that even if I identify as part of the marginalized community, I don't know everybody's story. And, um, and with public health, we have to try to get like these broad ranging, this is what this community is doing, this is what they're dealing with. And I really started looking into the root causes of things. So that was my yeah. first lesson that these are just symptoms of bigger problems. 100%. And that I, yes, and I start, and my work was really about behaviors, behavioral health and I was like um, harm reduction and one-on-one. -on -one. But as I moved up into the ranks, I started really looking at the systems that contribute to these behaviors and that we're not going to get rid of huge diseases by making someone use a condom or right. using it. We're going to have to address the things that lead us to these types of behaviors. And I started um, changing my language again, like you said, vulnerable. That, that says something about me when marginalized shows that something has happened to me. So not, you know, our um, trauma-informed care is not what's wrong um, with you. It's what happened to you. And a lot of things yeah. we're reacting to what happens to us. So as I moved up the, the chain of command, as it were, I really got into systems and how they affect us and how that blaming of people, if they didn't do this, they wouldn't have this. Well, why are they doing this? And asking the why. So those are the lessons, really asking the why, yeah. realizing that most of our issues, if not all our system issues. Yes. And that <laughs> there are reasons why people do things and we have to address them at each level and not just the behavioral individual level. 100%. Are you, I, I don't think you are, but are you from Buffalo? Or are you no, from, okay. You, yeah, yeah, I'm a military brat. Okay. <laughs> so I ended up in Buffalo due to a relationship due to my ex-husband. Oh, wow. Yeah, we that's we met in Atlanta. My my father retired in Atlanta. He was in the Air Force. So I I grew up um, in England, Hawaii, New York wow. City, Seattle, Washington is where I was born. I've lived a lot of places and <clears throat> Buffalo, I lived there the longest. Yeah. 19 years. 19 years and now I'm back in Atlanta. Well, something that going to these, you know, systemic issues. Yeah. When I moved to Buffalo, I lived in California, very diverse, um, you know, lots mm -hmm. of people around. 
um, when I moved to Buffalo, I was very shocked at how segregated it is. Yes. Um, incredibly segregated. And I remember being on a plane going to Buffalo and one girl who lived in California was sitting next to me and she had moved to Buffalo. Mm-hmm. And she told me, oh yeah, you're going to be really surprised at how separated everything is. Yes. And I have had so many instances in Buffalo and I love Buffalo. I've talked Mm -hmm. about it on this show. I love it. It's a wonderful (laughs) city. It's surprisingly beautiful and incredible. Yeah. Wouldn't think, but like based on all of the crap people have said about it, but it is an incredibly segregated community. Um, and there have been several times where I've been the only woman of color or person of color in a bar. And oh, yes. for you, I remember you were the only woman, <laughs> the only woman of color in leadership mm-hmm. at the time, um, as far as I could see. Yeah. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, when we're talking about systemic causes, um, I think we would be, you know, uh, we have to talk about race and we have to talk right. about that segregation and those, uh, you know, issues that are popping up. Where did you see that coming through in your work when you were living there? Um, oh, geez, you know, <laughs> Buffalo, yes, for all, I remember the saying used to be like, Buffalo is a great city or town to live in if you're white. Like that was something I heard over and over again when I first moved to Buffalo. And I, I moved there in the year 2000. So when I left in 2019, so I was there, you know, when it really was at its bottom, like when the brain drain was, I mean, there was no one there. There was, there was no, I mean, it was just, it was hard, hard life there. Yeah. <laughs> and so yeah. in that, in those 20 years, it really did. I saw, you know, move over into like a gray collar town as they call it. And, and eventually now, I'm getting over to white collar. There's a lot of gentrification happening, which yes. I mean, it's happened all over the country. For some reason, we didn't see it coming. I mean, that's that's what always cracks me up that it's happening everywhere, but no one ever sees it coming. I know. So yeah, it there was there was a lot of instances, even you know, between staff about who who what where the power lay um line where where people would attend if there were events like there were black events people wouldn't oh, wow. show up but we had to show up at the the, the so-called white events um things were really looked at in silo i mean across i'm not just talking about organizations i just mean yeah things are looked to silo like this is the east side problem so in buffalo that's where most of black people are. this is an east side problem not a city problem things right. are really looked at or so, or this is a West Side problem at before gentrification. That was that was a really Latinx community, but now it's getting very multicultural, you know. So yeah, it was that was I think most difficult problem is that problems or challenges were seen as certain people's challenges and not a citywide. And I think if things were seen more citywide, there would be a lot more changes mm-hmm. because what was seen citywide was a lot of economical, economic, why can I talk today? No, you're doing great. <laughs> yes. <You're awesome. laughs> like, uh, you know, um, a lot of issues. So when we started opening up restaurants and those kinds, of, that was a citywide, like, oh, we're going to right. invest here. But social problems are really segregated. We need each other to solve social problems. If you're yeah. like, two and three in poverty. I mean, a lot of the times we were in second and third across the nation for capita, highest poverty, always top 10 segregation. And it's, it's just, it's really upsetting that we had a black mayor and people were like, oh, we've got this black mayor and things are going to change. 
And a lot of things change didn't happen for certain people. Yeah. Some people are still in the same way. And so I being the only black person was challenging at times. Sorry. Uh, I mean, I'm sure. And I, I think that's also another reason why I looked at you as such a leader at the time, oh. because I was very used to seeing black women in roles of power <laughs> right <laughs> where I was from and people of color in roles of power and so to not necessarily have that um widespread mm-hmm. uh, I mean it's still obviously such a huge issue in this country and right and right we need more black women to be at the forefront of leadership on every level but to see that um not happening, especially where I lived was very strange for me. Mm -hmm. Um, And I started making friends with people who were primarily white. And that was very strange for me. Well, yeah. Um, (laughs) And it was an experience that I was not used to. Um, Mm. And, you know, when we're talking about the root causes, I remember hearing people saying, oh, on the east side, yes. this happens, or on the west side, this happens, or um, yeah, like, oh, uh, the refugee population was mentioned a lot in Buffalo. Yes. And so these are, I think these are issues that obviously are so complex and, you know, very in need of care and attention. But when you look at it, it's not that complex and there needs to be more integration of services, as you're saying, to be a citywide issue. And I feel like you could copy and paste this with so many places around the country. Friends, I am so excited to share that this episode is sponsored by The Joy Method. Listen, this past year and a half has been absolutely insane. All of us have collectively changed and sometimes it's hard to even know how to process it all. So my question for you today is, have you realized something has shifted during this pandemic for you? Are you ready to commit yourself to something new, but you just don't know where to start or how to start? Maybe you have new goals now, new dreams, new desires that have come up over the past year and a half, and you just need more support to figure it all out. Well, my loves, that is where the Joy Method comes in. The Joy Method is a nine-week transformational program created by my dear friend, Stephanie Verschelle. Stephanie is a two-time guest of this show, and she has developed this program after she went through her own deep transformational process. This program is all about taking a deep dive into what's holding you back and how you can finally unblock what's in your way to achieve your happiness and your goals. I personally went through this program and it changed my perspective on so much about what I value in my life and how my energy changes when I work towards something that I love. Listen, being afraid of your potential is just not on the table for us anymore. It's time to make those dreams a reality. Are you ready to finally unblock what's in your way? Are you ready to find your joy? Then the joy method is perfect for you. So how can you sign up? Head to stephanieverschow.com slash the joy method to register for the next round starting on July 21st. When you register, make sure you list growing woman in the registration forum as how you found her program. Now is the time friends. Make the choice for yourself. You deserve it. Also, I want to mention Stephanie is offering payment plans so no one is left behind. It's absolutely amazing. Head to stephanieverschow.com slash the joy method and register for the next round. Also, if you're not quite sure yet, if you want to join or be a part of the joy method, get to know Stephanie a bit more on her Instagram. She's all about authentic connection and she'll be talking much more about the program there at stephanieverschow on Instagram. If you do sign up, just make sure to let her know I sent you. Cheers to your joy, my friend. Now back to the show.
for you when you decided to leave Mm -hmm. um, Buffalo and move to Atlanta, Mm -hmm. um, what kind of spurred that decision for you and and how did that affect your life? The biggest thing was my family's here. Mm. So my mom and dad, my two sisters and my brother all live within 20 minutes of one another here. Yeah, so they were really growing as a close unit and I was so far away and every year I went to Atlanta I sent my children down for the summer so it was old school like my kids went down south for the summer but there were so many things I was missing even though we had a group chat which makes you think like you're part of it because it's just constant all day long there's it's still a lot different so when I was in Buffalo the only thing that was keeping me there really was my work Mm. I mean, and so I, I mean, I complained all the time. I want to move. I want to move. I want to move. And so I was just like, well, why am I still here? And so I talked to my, my oldest son had moved. He graduated from high school in Buffalo and moved down here. So now he was here with my family. (laughs) And so I just asked my youngest, he had two years left in high school. And I said, how do you feel about leaving? I was going to wait until you graduate. He was like, I'm ready to go. Every winter was, you know, the winners. Yes. It got worse and worse. And that year we woke up and every day, half of my roof was in the street. I was like, I had a hundred year old home. I have to sell this thing, get out of here. But that was the main thing. But of course, then the pandemic hit. So I've been in my house for a year and a half. This brings me to something that you mentioned earlier was um, in your work, you said Mm. you're very much a giver and you, um, you know, were giving your all. You just mentioned you stayed in Buffalo because of your work. Yes. You talked about how you're working with vulnerable populations, marginalized populations and saying mm-hmm. like, hey, I'm going to give my all to you and learn and absorb. But now you're talking about how that has taken a toll on you. Yes. So what has shifted now for you in regard to your self-care and, and how you're now taking care of yourself, because I think it's important for people to hear this mm-hmm. when we're talking about being in professions where you're yes. giving so much to others. So now what has shifted for you around your self-care? My self-care has started with just a seed of thought. The seed that I have planted through therapy is I am not responsible for everything. And that is, was a very freeing notion for me. It was a big breakthrough. And that sounds very narcissistic and very self-centered, but as a person who has worked in this field of service for so long, when any problem is presented, I think, okay, it's my job, my passion in life, my purpose to help solve. And That is a wonderful thing until you have nothing left for yourself or the people you love or the people you care about. Because when I told you how I moved up from from not only being behavioral, but systems, working one-on-one in behavioral, there is a great need, right? You, I mean, there's a good feeling that I've done something. You'll work, I'm working with Christina, she's amazing, and I can go home saying, wow, I helped. But when you're thinking system-wide, there really is far and few in between where you feel like you've made a difference Mm -hmm. because systems are so big and complex. So what happened to me is that I kept going and going and going because I didn't see that change that I would see when I was working one-on-one with people. And that caused me to be empty. So knowing that I am not responsible for everything and the thing I've done is enough. Mm. I've done enough today. I've done enough today. 
I love this so much because I have that issue where <laughs> I'm a giver <laughs> mm-hmm. and, a, and, you know, there can be um, a thread of people pleasing that is in mm-hmm. there as well. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Where if you're pleasing others, it feels really good. Like, oh, I did right. this thing. And now I have that boost of energy that I wanted to see. Yes. Um, so for you, what does, um, what does that, uh, you know, look like now in your life where you're not responsible for it all? Like, how do you, right. what actions are you taking now? Well, mention therapy. <laughs> yes. I'm, I, I listen, everybody get into therapy. Everyone get into therapy, get into 100%. therapy now. Yes. Even if you only do it once a month, get into therapy. That has been very, very helpful. The, the other thing is I do my homework for therapy. So, so right, it's not just, it, it, I won't say just, it has moved beyond me being full of anxiety and unloading on someone who can help me through it. It has really become a way to keep myself accountable. So listening to myself when I say like, nope, that's the old Maisha. I'm not going to keep pushing and pushing like, oh, I didn't do anything today and feeling bad when I'm resting, sitting mm-hmm. there spooling, like, what do I have to do? Being present and being mindful has been helping. And listen, I don't win every day, everybody, your listeners, I don't win every day. But right. those kind of having those, those tools to help me to pull back so that I'm not, like I said, having a vertigo attack. And right giving up and this I know if you have women listeners you've heard this before just giving up that superwoman trope especially as being a black woman we are really measured our worth is measured by what we have done oh black women save the country black women vote black women this but black women are the mother those kind of things although they may feel reassuring at times they're overwhelming and very hard to um, live up to So even when people are trying to support Black women saying, oh, you are magic, you know, (laughs) you're strong, you're this, hearing that over and over again, when I'm not feeling so strong, now I'm feeling like I'm not living up to my potential. So not even like putting on a front, but I'm supposed to be this superwoman. So I haven't lived up to the standard of what everybody's saying. So half of it is saying Black women ain't nothing, and the other half are saying we're everything. And there's really (sighs) no middle. There's no middle. Can I just be a person? Right. We're either nothing or everything. Right. <laughs> and that's really difficult at times. Of course. And I'm just so grateful for you for sharing that and mm-hmm. for saying that. Cause you know, it you deserve to be a person. <laughs> right. You deserve to just right, have right. a moment and just be human because you are. And yeah, right. There, you know, it you don't have to be everything all the time for everyone. And I think there are a lot of people listening out there that would probably really needed to hear that and mm-hmm. that would resonate with them. Um, you've mentioned a couple of times going from uh, working in more like individual person to person and then rising through, um, mm-hmm. you know, the organization. Can you talk about what that journey was like for you? Because um, it obviously had a deep impact on you. And, um, yeah. and how did that happen? And what was that like for you? Yeah, so at um, at Evergreen, you know, it was it was kind of like you know you do a good job, you get recognized, and hopefully a gatekeeper would you know bring me up. And most of the times, that's what happens. You know, I was working, and someone was like advocated for me. 
there was probably just one time that I said, this is something I'd like to do. And that was the biggest move. When I said, this is something I'd like to do. Oh, wow. Um, I'm, I'm doing this anyway. People are coming to me. I'm, I'm coaching them. I'm mentoring them. And I would love this position to be created. And three years later, they created it. And so that was when I would, that was at the end of my, t- my tenure there is when I was having a lot of fun. And I was also not being as challenged as I thought I'd be. Because mm. since it was a creative position, it was kind of like, okay, you got it, figure it out. Not in a bad way. It was just like, so then I, and so yeah. there was, I don't think I had as much leverage as I would have liked. So when I, I left, so like the journey was, like I said, oh, she's, she's good at this. Let's see if she's good at that. Oh, we have a new opening. Let's see if she's good. At, it was kind of mm. like that, okay. which I don't recommend for people because um, when I started mentoring people, I was really talking about being the author of your own novel. Like right. Like saying, person, I would like to do this, this. is what I want to do. Mm-hmm. Looking at your skills and everything and not waiting for someone to say, oh, she does a good job. Let's move her here. And at that time, I thought that's how things worked because it kept happening to me. Like every two years, someone would say, hey, Maisha, here's a new position. So it was kind of a mm-hmm. charmed existence. And then um, I left and I'm at my new organization, which I, I had wanted to work work there since 2004. I went wow. there. It was New York City. I went there on a trip. I'm a bit a business lady trip, a BID in the business lady Got trip. Business and cards. I, I have my business cards. I, ha- I must have handed out 400, came back, had to wait a month to get new ones. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I was there and I was like, I would love to work here. It's capacity training. I'm in capacity building and they do so much more. They opened up a Buffalo office and I saw this big job and I was like, I know I can do this, but I don't fit every single thing. And and then a friend slash mentor was like, you need to apply. You need Mm -hmm. to apply for this. I had already seen it and they sent to me and said, you need to apply. And I did. And it was the best decision. I've never worked so hard in my life, but it was the best decision because it elevated me. It elevated my thinking. I do so much research. I do evaluation. It changed the way that I was doing. A lot of my work I was doing was intuitively and was getting like, oh, you know, yeah, good job. But here, my new org, I was challenged. I've been there five years now. I've been challenged, challenged. So I think that if people see me who I worked at Evergreen, they're probably like, what is she doing? It's just in five years, I have learned so much. And yeah. I'm in a different stratosphere than I was before. I think that's so important that you're mentioning two things that you are now mentoring people and telling them, hey, be the author of your own yes. story. Yes. Um, when you're seeing something that you want, ask for that or go for that. Um, because I do think the traditional model that I was also taught was that it comes to you. Just yes. wait until somebody offers something to you. Wait until that promotion or that moment arrives in your lap. And I've seen that happen to people around me. And one of the reasons mm-hmm. I started this show was because I saw it happening to people around me. And I was like, what are they doing? Right. Like, what's going on? <laughs> like, I need to have conversations with women. Like, and Um, but I, I so resonate with what you're saying is like, actually, that's not the best thing for me. Like what the best thing for me is, is to challenge myself and go do something that I would like to choose to do. Yes. Um, and create something. So number one, you did that through your role at Evergreen, and then you also took a leap and saw this new role. I think that's so important to hear (laughs) because there is this weird traditional model that I also think doesn't equate, um, value necessarily, um, 
around pay, yes, most likely, and and around um, self worth because yes. you're just expecting things to come to you. And so I think you're saying a very important thing right now around okay, go out there and ask for what you want and take that action. Yes. So when you took that action, those two times when you like created that role for yourself mm-hmm. and then you realized you weren't being challenged, you know, you mentioned that certain things have changed for you, but was that part of the catalyst for you eventually taking yes. the step to leave and like taking the step to take more action for yourself? Yes, I think a lot of it comes from, like you said, the undervaluing oneself. Yeah. Like the things that, so when, once I earned my master's in creative studies and I started utilizing all these different sciences in my work and all, and I was like, I'm looking at like my cohorts, people are, they're being consultants, they're doing, and they are getting paid a bank, right? Yes. <laughs> you know what I mean? They're, they're, and I'm, and I'm sitting here, I'm like, I'm doing this for free. I mean, I'm getting this, the salary, but all the things I was doing, I, I I don't even want to talk about because I don't want to disparage anyone, but I'm just saying I was doing a lot of things with getting paid pennies on the dollar to what I could have made in corporate. Now, I didn't want to be in corporate because I wanted to help people. So when I moved over, I got paid a lot more. I was people, they were, they were saying words that I had never heard before. Maybe I said them to myself in my room, but I had never, no one had ever called me a thought leader before. Mm. No one had ever told me like, this is yours, take it, stretch it, you know, read up on the latest things and add to it. No one had ever said those type of things to me. And I realized that I probably would have worked in my other organization forever and not really, really changed a lot. And I, and, and like I said, no disrespect to Evergreen because now they have all sorts of, you know, yeah. DEI diversity. They have all this stuff they're doing that I was doing for free, yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. like, like these things that a lot of, a lot of us were just trying to org, um, organically do. And now they've institutionalized them, which is great. Yeah. Um, however, I was not, I don't, I don't think, like I said, I would not have moved forward. And that was it, the, the undervalue. like, okay, now I see people getting paid, not to equate my value with pay, but to pay me. Right. Pay 100% me. <laughs> because there is that value. When you value yourself, yes. you ask for more and yes. it's not being seen as, it's not a greedy thing right. or an ego thing. It's just, this is what you're worth. And that's a very hard lesson I feel for women in the workplace because we just try and do everything. We do everything, Um, everything. And I'm curious to know, I ask this every episode, but what are some female allies, you know, who are female allies that have popped up in your life who have really helped elevate you to this space? Certainly. Um, the first one will always be Miss um, Kate Gallivan. And I, I know you her. know who she is. Yes, she was my boss at one time who became my colleague, who became my friend. And so she's, she's always been there. And then I've met just women across the board um, who are like my peers, who are my, my, my family, my, my, you know, my besties. You know, so my cousin, who Felicia um, Stanley, who now has her own practice, she's a licensed mental 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 health counselor, has her yeah. own like holistic counseling. Um, my VP now, who I, I work with, she is amazing. She doesn't, she won't say I'm her supervisor. She calls supervision coffee with Maisha. You know, so she <laughs> the best, <laughs> right? She's like, we don't know, we don't have supervision. And then just my sister circle. So I, so I, I think people underestimate 
the, the group chat, the, the sister circle group chat, like just who will we talk about things, not just things that bother us, but things that help elevate us. So I have, I have some friends. So I have Kathy Alvarez, you know, you, yes. I, yeah, you met Kelly, that's my BFF, but yes. I also have um, my new friends now. So people I work with now at my organization, we, there's so many different women. I don't want to forget anyone, but I'm looking at their faces now. I don't, I don't know if they want their business out there, but those are, <laughs> there are women that I depend on and people I so-called mentor. They don't realize that the learning comes both ways. I don't see it's up or down that I learn as much yeah. from them, especially the younger women who are like, I'm not taking this. We're getting a new job. I'm like, you're leaving. You're just leaving your job. Like seeing <laughs> young women, like, I'm not taking this crap. I'm going. I'm like, well, me too. You know, <laughs> let's step out together. Well, I, leave. I can leave. You mean, I can, yeah, you can leave. I can leave. <laughs> you know what I mean? So yeah. that kind of thing is really, so 100%. I've seen that. Yes. And I love you know. That. I just want to say there's also people who have been been like my project officers for or contract managers we call them in the nonprofit world that I have had to report to and I've seen them and spoken to them offline like well how did you do this or what do you see this and they've always been so giving so regardless if I said their name or not when I say giving that way of just like offering advice saying like okay yeah this is what I see or even pouring into me saying I've heard people say your your org doesn't see this, but I do. Blah 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 blah. Mm. Like hearing that is real. It was really, it was so helpful. It was yeah. so helpful. So I try to be as just as open to other women who come to me for any kind of advice. Uh, I am obsessed with everything you just said because <laughs> I think it's so important. Um, and I particularly love the moment of you talking about to the people, talking to the people you are mentoring now and learning from them. How mm-hmm. have you, for people who don't really have a mentor or they're looking for somebody, um, or maybe they're looking for somebody to mentor, um, yeah. how has that come up in your life? Like, how have you started mentoring people? How have you found, you know, these people yeah. to mentor? Most of the time it's through my work, Christina, because um, just like you said, you know, I mean, that was really wonderful to say at the beginning, but people have come to me after us seeing someone and saying, hey, can I talk to you? Now, listen, when you approach me, don't say pick my brain. I hate it. <laughs> I hate that. But when people are really authentic and say, I feel like this, you're just somebody I want to get to know. I'm yeah. always open because I am a classic extrovert. So yes. I'm, I we have love two Leos on this podcast. Oh right yeah, now. I was about to say I was like, as a Leo, <laughs> <laughs> I am always looking for new friends. So that that is never. I'm like, sure, let's talk, let's talk, and that's how the relationship usually starts. And then I've also been in organized mentorship programs. So if you are looking for mm. a mentor or want to be a mentor, you could just Google. There are so many mentoring programs that you can be involved in and help on both ways. And then again, I've, I've approached people that I've seen and said, hi, you know, I saw you here. We spoke here. Would you like to have some coffee? I offer to buy lunch. I mean, this is the pandemic now, so it's, it's a zoom now, <laughs> yes. but before, if I was looking for some, and not just like a formal, like I want you as my mentor, but I've seen you in this place. I've seen the space. I like the way you move. Can I buy you coffee? Can I buy you lunch to get to know you? That has been a great way for me to reach women who I feel like I can really be poured into. And people are always like, oh yeah, just, just offer. Can I just talk to you, get to know you more and not, I, I need yeah. you as my mentor because I see what you do and I want that too. 
Let me just get to know you. 100%. I love the phrase that you just said, uh, women I see who it could be poured into. I think that's just mm-hmm. such a beautiful um, way to, you know, really visualize connecting with somebody. Yes. Um, and also what comes up for me is um, almost this like fear around Mm. asking you know that Mm -hmm. fear around like oh gosh like even just asking you to do this show I was like I feel like I can ask my show but there's still fear around that (laughs) because you know when you look up to somebody or when you see somebody that you really want to connect with that Mm -hmm. can be scary or if you see somebody you want to um you know potentially help that can be um scary Mm -hmm. I would love to know how you embrace fear and those challenges head on because we've really touched on a lot of that throughout your career um, Mm -hmm. of, you know, new spaces, new people, new challenges. um, And we've touched kind of a bit on imposter syndrome. Yeah. yeah. How do you embrace that fear or challenge that head on? Yeah. Not willingly. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to be honest. It it is fear has been something I grapple with and, and not all the time, but just in certain, like there'll be times when I'm fine. Like I don't have any fear, like, oh, I can make any decision. I can be anyone. And then there's a season when all of a sudden fear and doubt starts creeping in. And then I'll go through a thing of being like, I can't make any decisions. I'm so afraid something's going to mess mm-hmm. up. So again, therapy has helped with that, like to kind of, to even those of those valleys and those mountains, right. To, to, to look at what fear is and to be able to pull it apart. And, and I'm not, I'm one of those people that I don't believe in like, oh, logic is better than emotions. I don't, I don't believe that. However, they do both play a a part in decision-making. So a lot of the things, one of the questions that my good friend, she, she reports to me, but she is a good friend of mine. And she, her question, because she's a therapist is what's the worst that could happen? Uh. And just leading with that, like, and then once you're reading them, you're like, this is the worst. I'm, I can do this, <laughs> you know, I can do this, but yeah, that's been one of the major things is I will have these cycles of fear and I need, I've been working on, like I said, those kind of tools to unpack what are the, what are the real fears? It's not about leaving my job. What's mm-hmm. the real fear I have here? Oh, I'm not capable of doing the other job. And why uh-huh. do I feel that? Well, because I don't have enough enough experience. And why do you think that? Let's look at my, so it's just like this ladder of abstraction, which is one of the creative problem solving tools that I use to get us higher and higher and to see like, what is the, what's really at play right. here? And at the end of that, then taking that job is not a problem or asking Maisha is not a problem or meeting people new, that's not a problem. It's really this, this, this overarching fear mm-hmm. and figure out what it is. because the worst that, you know, you could have said when I asked you was no, unfortunately now's not the right time for me, you know? And I would have been like, okay, like, you know, (laughs) or if you took that job and something didn't happen, like if you didn't get it, okay, there might be something better that is out there for me. And I think, um, you know, that you put it in such a beautiful way. And I think something that I've touched on in a recent interview with somebody is really how entrenched in white supremacy culture we all oh, are. Jesus. And I go there on the show. Yes, like, yes. I, I, um, the sense of urgency, perfectionism, worship mm-hmm. of the written word, all of these things coming through, um, 
through life as a woman in the workplace entrenched in white supremacy culture is a woman of color in the workplace. It's very hard um, because the standard is not equating with your personal value. Yes. (laughs) Yes, Christina. It's it's just something that I find so conflicting around Mm -hmm. leadership and what a leader looks like. Yeah. Um, Because everything that I uh, embolden to leadership is actively really challenging white supremacy culture, like people that I see. Mm -hmm. Um, So I would love to know, like, how, number one, you... Uh, define leadership in yourself like okay what what Mm -hmm. are you good at and then how have you challenged white supremacy culture and these like you know yeah things that are so ingrained in us it's you know what and I feel like if in the corporate world when I talk to people white supremacy is kind of like an you expect it yeah so you're so you so that is like a different navigation like I'm going to be working people who don't even understand what white supremacy is. They think it's, you know, somebody um, burning a cross in someone's yard and that's not them. So they're completely, so I'm kind of like at work with my mask on, come home and just like this pays the bills. But when, mm-hmm. when one is committed to public service and public health and all these things, there is a expectation sometimes that these white people know better than the other white people. Like there's just actually like these white folks, they get it, right? And then when it starts, when the white supremacy starts coming out, it's disappointing. And then it's gaslit <laughs> because yeah. they know what white supremacy. So there's a lot of gaslighting that's happening. And then there's a, then there's respect loss. And then you're like, how do I become a real, you know, comrade or um, someone an ally, which you know doesn't go far enough for you know we say accomplice and comrade to someone who still has all this white supremacy oozing out of their pores and they don't recognize it. So it's kind of like, oh, geez. So one of the things that I have tried to do, one is I am working very hard to not code switch. So as being a Gen X person, code switching, it was our lifeline. Like it's all about assimilating and being more palatable and, and being in a room that people know that, oh, I can speak well, or I can do this and all that. So that's, that's gone. You know, I'm, I'm, it's, I'm as, <laughs> I'm as Maisha as I'm trying to be in every, every space. Right. So, so that code switching has gotten really, really thin. The other part, I, the white supremacy part is calling it out. I'm not, I'm not afraid anymore to call out white supremacy. Mm-hmm. And I'm not afraid to say things like that's anti-black in a meeting. And people's eyes get big. Like when say, well, you know, some people aren't as professional. Um, the word professional is anti-black because people of color have, have been traditionally kept out of professional spaces. And, right. and they're all based around your biases and your value system. So, so, yep. so please don't say someone's not professional when they come into the workplace. Like those kind of things and saying that and being unapologetic about it. Like you, you're going to learn today. You're going to learn today. <laughs> Yes. You're not yes. going to say this around Maisha. You're not going to be in a meeting. You're not going to say this. And I'm grateful that I work in a place where it's 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 not as frequent, which is helpful. It's not as frequent frequent as before. Mm-hmm. Um, however, I'm just at the point where I don't. I'm calling it out. Yeah. To the so, point where it's irritating. <laughs> right. Right. And unapologetically so. Yes. And I think it's, you know, what is so important that I, you know. 
I think what is so important is that organizations and companies do the work, do the research. It is not up to women of color and people of color to do your emotional labor for right, you right. and that work for you. And it is very important for you to do that research and do that work. Yes. Um, so people can unapologetically state when things are anti-Black yes. um, openly. So what does leadership now look like to you? Yes, I didn't answer that. Sorry. So <laughs> leadership to me, my style is um, charismatic leadership. I, I can't get around it. I love relationships. I love to make people feel comfortable. That doesn't always happen because I've heard people like, I was very intimidated. I'm like, really? I'm really bending over backwards <laughs> to seem approachable. <laughs> right, right. So, so charismatic. Um, I believe in shared leadership. Um, I love the, my organization has the matrix um, system. So we are, our expertise leads. So I love being on a team where I can be like, Christina, you are awesome at this. Can you take the lead with this? And mm. Christina is not scared to do it. And she's like, okay, not, yeah, I mean, you, there's going to be some fear, but won't be like, no, not me. Not me. <laughs> <laughs> like, this is how it works. You know, I'm bringing people around me because I don't know everything. So when I bring you into my circle, I'm expecting you to leave this part. So that's what yeah. I tell people that don't be, you know, I know we're going to be afraid there is imposter syndrome, but when you work with me, I expect you to speak up and I'm going to make room for you to speak up. Mm. So my favorite part of being a leader is making sure the people who are uh, under my auspices have what they need to be the best they can be mm. and that they that they amplify themselves in the work. So if I'm always like, what do you care about? What do you, you know, and people might be, oh, I do this. How do we bring that passion to what you're doing eight hours a day? Because you're doing this most of the time, this work. How do we infuse what you really care about into this? They don't have to be locked so that one can't work without the other. But yeah. if you love this, then we're going to bring this to your work because that's what's going <laughs> to, that's going to make you shine. And uh, so that's, that's one of my, my favorite things about what's your passion? What, what, what do you want to do? How can I, and especially a nonprofit, so you know I'm, I'm probably one that has to deal with funders. Let me deal with funders. Let right. me deal with, and let me take what you do and I'm great at translating that into deliverables and, uh, and objectives that work. You do the work, I'll do the legalese. You do the work. Right. S support. I love that so much. And um, it's very obvious that you're an advocate for other people and oh, that yeah, has been a thing. thread throughout your career and your life. Um, I cannot believe that we are coming to our hour um. <laughs> with each other. It's crazy. Um, but I am just so grateful for your time. And I think, you know, people listening to this show can learn so much from your experience and so much from what you've um, outlined in your career and the things Thank that you. you've had challenges around. I, I've learned so much from you um, just through listening to you and, and knowing you throughout you know the time that we've known each other. Um, if somebody is interested in talking to you a bit more, um, where can they find you to do that? Listen, the best way, if you're trying to talk professional, you need to get at me on LinkedIn because all my social media is just me being foolish. So if you, if you come up, listen, listen, if you come up on my name and you see some stuff that offends you, mind your business, because that's what that's for. I'm just, throwing, I'm like the go. dog pictures. Of, come to LinkedIn. Dog. See me on LinkedIn if you want. Listen, I love those dog pictures. <laughs> I love the video of you and your family dancing. Oh, there's see, been like a few videos of you and your family. Just, I'm like, oh, they sound so fun. That's, that's <laughs> what you're going to see. So if you want something professional. <laughs> yes. 
please go to LinkedIn and I'll try to remember to check the app. Beautiful. <laughs> Beautiful. <laughs> I'll put everything in the show notes. And Maisha, I really cannot thank you enough for coming on and chatting with me. It's so great oh. to connect with you more deeply and learn more about no. your story and who you are. And um, for those of you listening, um, never forget that your story matters and you matter. And thank you so much for joining and for listening. And we'll see you next week for a brand new episode of the Growing Women podcast. Thanks, everyone. Thank you. Bye.